How is it going, everybody? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you to The Way of the Wolf. So I've been very intentional with my first 10 episodes, talking through specific topics around leadership, coaching, development, becoming the best version of yourself. And I have actually been saving up interviews for specific individuals with the intent of, of really adding value for all of you listeners. The very first interview, first person we're going to have on the show is a good friend of mine, Jason Hitchcock. I've known him for about six years. He has helped me as a mentor, coach, friend over the years, and I just want to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Hitch, for coming on. Thanks for having me, Sean. Uh, Those pretty big shoes to fill. I don't know that I'm that right guy for that. You know, that's a, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So... For those of you that don't know Hitch, he is a retired Navy SEAL Master Chief. He was in the teams for, for many, many years, also a trainer at BUDS. And so I'm really looking forward to having some conversations with you, talking through your experience in the teams and then also your transition into kind of, we'll say, corporate America. That's Those are some great topics. Um, all of them are obviously exciting to me. Uh, the and, and people would say, well, I'm sure you're uh, going through buds was probably the most challenging and uh, unequivocally. But then the second most challenging was really the preparation for a transition from military to civilian. So different and uh, both intimidating at the same time. So talk to me a little bit about buds. You you went through buds, obviously, the first time around. And then whenever you became a trainer, how was that different for you? Were you kind of able to watch these guys and think, hey, I've been through this. I know what you're dealing with. Don't give me any crap. Yeah, so it's interesting. As a student, as a trainee in 1988, uh, just getting crushed uh, on a daily basis, it felt like it was that we could do nothing right. And there was some, a lot of uh, intestinal fortitude required to get through some of that. And it felt as if when they were remediating us or making us better. It was just willy-nilly. And I go back, what, 17, 18 years later as the senior instructor for first phase where I had the accountability of the Hell Weeks. I had a staff of 30 instructors, and uh, these guys were amazing. Um, when I showed up there, I was expecting it to just be this chaotic, you know, uh, melee. And the fact of the matter was everything was very strategic. Everything was planned out. Everything that I thought was flippant behavior on the part of the instructors were intentional efforts to drive home points. Uh, and I did not recognize that as a student. So when I went back as a, the, the guy in charge, it, I was my eyes wide open and just like, holy cow, what a process. So it's, it's really, to me, it was very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's my side of the story. That's my perspective. I'm sure guys have, who've been in my position have different, different views, but that's how I felt. So it's interesting, whenever you talk through the structure that exists there, I think it's fair to say that the, the U.S. military is probably one of the largest structured organizations in the, in the world, some might argue. What are your thoughts on that overall? So it's amazing. Uh, you know, the military took on, you know, they went to corporate America and adopted a lot of the corporate America ideals. Um, what was it, 80s or 90s? I, I forget when. But it's interesting now when people say, well, you're so military. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm corporate. Yeah. I understand how the corporate structure is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes corporate America doesn't understand how the corporate structure is supposed to work. Yeah. So um, I find that fascinating to me because if you do the history and you do the research, it's really a great story. Mm -hmm. And um, and so 
so the transition I thought was going to be challenging. It really, uh, it was a challenge that the process, but once you get into corporate America, it's not, um, it's not a, a strange monster that I thought it was going to be. I was very comfortable in understanding. Now there's obviously nomenclature, there's verbiage, there's, there's expectations. There's a whole different array of things that come with moving from military to civilian, but structure wise and understanding of what needs to happen, how it needs to happen, the order in which it needs to happen. It's all very aligned. So mm -hmm. really fascinating. So I know you've done actually quite a bit in recent years in terms of, of helping individuals that have, have retired from their military career who in, are then coming into corporate America. Talk to me a little bit about how you're helping them out. What are some of the things that you're doing? Well, we so there's a couple different venues that we work with. Uh, there's a couple local things we work with here in Houston. There's a, there's a group back in Virginia Beach we work with. But then we also have a nonprofit. And so the nonprofit is focused on the transition from military to civilian, but also it's a recovery program. It's really meant to rebuild that trust mechanism from the military to civilian uh, so guys don't feel like they're all alone. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the first leg. The, the middle leg is is really how do we teach these guys, um, how do we take these guys and teach them how to transition? What's the plan? How do you make a plan? What's priority? You know, the first thing you have to ask yourself is who are you? What's your purpose? And really the question is who are you when you stop being you, mm -hmm. right? To go from a command master chief to yep. a to a, a, a what a manager of uh, you know there's it's it's challenging because when you're the at the top of the game and you transition you know the biggest thing I see I think veterans just have I, there's nobody like me I'm the best there is yeah and of course you should think that just understand it's, it's not the truth because mm -hmm. you haven't proven anything to anybody out here and so I think there's a there's a it's incumbent upon us as veterans as we transition to be aware that hey. Give me 30 seconds in front of you and I'll show you who I am. But yep. until you get that 30 seconds, you're just the next guy looking for a job. So so you said something a moment ago that I'd like to kind of cue in on a little bit deeper. You said, who are you and what is your purpose? And I've actually had a few podcast episodes and, and YouTube shows where I've, I've spoken to the importance of finding your purpose. When you have guys that are coming out of the military maybe if it was a full career in the military, how do you help them find their purpose? Because I know even people that haven't been in the military struggle to f figure out their purpose. So what are your thoughts on that, and, and how do you help these guys figure that out? You know, so I I, I don't know that I as much help them out as give them examples. Okay. Um, because what mattered to me when I was retiring, mm -hmm. and I'll, very specifically, I... When I left the military, and as I was leaving the military, you know, it's funny. I had I had almost uh, eight months, nine months to prepare. Mm -hmm. I had a job, but I but I I was given latitude to do what I needed to do. Uh, they really supported that. I'm working with a, a great man, um, uh, Sergeant Major uh, Twig Ernest Twig out in uh, Twenty Nine Palms, and he's a uh, a Marine, and he's doing a fantastic job with his organization, but. He's a couple months out from retiring, and he's still deploying for two months to for a training event and so on. And I just uh, – he doesn't complain. He's a, he's a good soldier. But at some point, he's given 25, 20-whatever years. Why don't we stop deploying the guy and give him some time to get his stuff together? So part of it is an education process. And I understand the military, that you're there to do the job. You're in the military to do the job. Mm -hmm. Suck it up, buttercup. I get it. Yep. However – 
I was treated really well, and I appreciate the way I was treated because I see other people that, uh, again, I'm not saying they are not being treated well, but I am saying there's got to be a recognition there's, th this needs time because part of it is introspection or reflection. What is important to me? As I was transitioning, the thing that mattered to me is I was I would make a difference f to our nation. I, I, I didn't want to go out and, uh, and, and nothing against it. I just... I was done deploying as a contractor. I was done. Um, I mean, I, I'd never been a contractor, but I was done deploying. I didn't want to do it as a contractor to try to help America. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I didn't like was um, uh, we were not energy independent. We were reliant on so many other nations for um, our, our gas and our consistent, you know, way of life. And yeah. I believed strongly that I know at that time, America was really pushing to be energy independent. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a part of that. That mattered to me because I, it, to me, it mattered because of national security reasons. Uh, I don't know if we're going to continue to be energy independent where we're going right now, but mm -hmm. I will say that it's mission complete. Do I love my job? Do I love my organization? Absolutely. Uh, you know, but but mission complete when it comes to energy independence. So what's what matters to me now? I've recognized that uh, my true passion is helping others. Mm -hmm. uh, and it sounds canned. It sounds cheesy. People are like, oh, that's great. It's a great tagline. Well, hey, look, man, when you've done... Everything you've I've done and, and, and people like me have done everything they've done. The reward for me is seeing people grow. Like you're for example, yourself over the mm -hmm. last six years, you have to admit you've gone from um, a, a hardcore good guy at, at, at an organization to a VP running multiple uh, divisions mm -hmm. and absolutely crushing it with uh, a ton of leadership opportunities underneath of you, mm -hmm. which uh, that says a lot. It says a lot some, about people who embrace leadership. Well, look, I don't take any credit for where you are, mm -hmm. but I am so honored to have been part of your path yep. because that, to me, that's that's where my payment is. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you go through seasons in life, as everybody knows, and my season initially out of the military was, look, I have a mission. I want to help somehow get our nation secure. Yeah. Moving forward, I wanted to, moving forward now, I, I want to make people better. But you can't just make people better. People have to reach out and want to be better. So that is a perfect segue into one of the talking points I really wanted to cover, which is kind of coaching, guiding, and mentoring, and something that I feel you are absolutely incredible at. And you and I do have different paths, on, well, styles on how we coach and mentor for sure. But talk to me a little bit about what are some of the things that you enjoy most about coaching and mentoring people? I mean, you, you mentioned just helping people become the best version of themselves, but tell me a little bit more about that from your perspective. So I like coaching and mentoring people that want to be. So if somebody's told to be coached and mentored, I'm not interested. I'll, the next guy can do that. Mm -hmm. When people genuinely want to listen, and they don't have to do what I say, they just have to listen and evaluate yeah. the content. And if it doesn't make sense to them, if they don't want to do it, then let's have a conversation because I'm okay with that too. Mm-hmm. But don't, don't say no. Come up with a plan B, which, by the way, I hate the word plan B. But come up with an alternative means of coaching. Yeah. Or an alternative means of whatever. Where do we want to get to and how do you want to get there? If you don't want to do it this way, tell me what your methodology is. Because I can guarantee you the odds are we won't do that either. We'll do some hybrid mm -hmm. to make sure that person feels good. Because if somebody really wants to learn, they're going to have answers for you. And that's really where the coaching comes in. 
most people that are 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 wanting to become better, they know where they want to go. They just don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. And so coaching is just getting them to answer their own questions. And I, I'm not being uh, flippant about it, but people know the answers to their own questions. Whether they're willing to answer those questions is up to them. Yeah, and that is another good point that I, that I, I want to delve into in the importance of at least my experience in coaching over the past few months. I have, I have just a, a number of people that I've worked with, and what I've found is that it has to be a pull. And part of my conversations before I start any sort of coaching with somebody, I want to sit down with them and say, hey, is this really what you want? Why do you want it? Because there have been people that I have coached in the past where we'll come in, we'll start having se- coaching sessions, and their their response every single time is, my boss is an ass, fix my boss, fix my boss, fix my boss. But they won't look internally and say, hey, what am I doing to create this situation? What can I do differently? And I know you and I have kind of talked quite a bit over the years about the importance of it being a pull and not a push. Have you had any successful experiences with it being a push? Yes. Yes. I'm in the middle of one now. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 and so my, you know, uh, when we take the disc profile, mm-hmm. right, it's one of the baseline models we use for our engagements because it's very, it's generic, but mm-hmm. it's very, it's accurate. I mean, it better be they're your answers. Yeah. And, they the disc is a great stepping stone to so many other options. You know, you can go once you get further along, you get into the Berkman because now they understand. Once they understand themselves a little bit better, then we can grow that and 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 develop that further with more complicated and more in depth uh, versions. But disc is reasonably priced. It's mm-hmm. it's a great start tool for uh, and you know when people say, "Well, you, all these leadership people start with these mm-hmm. tools." Well, yeah, there are tools because. Ninety percent of the people that have taken um, those tools don't really understand it, and and Sean, this is uh, in my opinion, and it it's maybe it sounds uh, silly to some, or oh my, it's so overplayed, but it's not overplayed because if you can't lead yourself, if you can't lead yourself, if you don't even know how you show up in a conference or in a meeting or when you walk into the room, then you sure can't lead other people. And so many people think they can lead, but they can't even get their own stuff together. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about being, um, you know, missing appointments. You know, everybody misses appointments. Everybody makes mistakes. But I'm just talking about if you can't lead yourself, you can't lead others. And it's kind of like, you know, how they say, you know, you, gotta lo- you can't love anyone else until you love yourself. It's the same concept. If you don't know what you're made of and don't know what you're about and what triggers you and you're unaware and you're, you just don't know, well... Look, you're gonna struggle, and yeah. it's and it's and it, the great thing, Sean, is none of this is um, broken permanently. Mm-hmm. It's an easy fix if you want to fix, if you want to learn, if you want to grow. It has to be the one, and and that's key. One of the things that I have have seen over the years is a lot of times ego will play in to the challenges with somebody becoming a successful leader. Now. My question to you is, have you been ever ever been able to bust somebody down, break that ego down so that they realize the reality that they are faced with, how they are perceived by others? What are your thoughts there? Sure. So ego is a, is, a, is not a negative word. Mm-hmm. Ego is, a, is just a word. Mm-hmm. It's just a word. We all have ego. Mm-hmm. That's just how we're built as humans. So 
I have an ego. Sure, I have an ego, and my ego gets damaged sometimes. Yes, I get. I mean, shoot, how many times have we had a conversation about this, that, or the other thing? And part of it was ego driven. It doesn't. It's not a ego is not a bad thing. It's a great uh, motivator. It's a great engine to draw off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been yeah. So if you catch my drift with ego, but the ego you're talking about is 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 blended with um, arrogance and and demeaning behavior, and and so my experience. My experience with that type of behavior is ignorance. Mm-hmm. There's an ignorance to it. There's there's very few people I've ever met who are intentionally that way. They're completely unaware of how they come across. Mm-hmm. And when you start really assessing and evaluating personalities and personality profiles, you realize that, man, some people are just clueless because nobody's ever told them and they or they promoted too quick or they've never been invested in. And there's just so many ways to... And it, so, for example, when, when I teach leadership or when I focus on leadership, I make every intention of showing, uh, holding that a mirror in front of these people's faces mm-hmm. so they see who they really are. And that's very easy to do. It's very easy to get people to recognize, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm that guy. And they do. It's a, epiphanies all the time. And the change is relatively quick and immediate. And so with that being said, if you can't get people to lead themselves, you can't progress. And unfortunately, we have to start at squad one, square one um, because the pyramid didn't start with the middle layer. It started with the base layer. You have to have a strong foundation. And those people that are wanting to be better are building a strong foundation to continue to build that leadership pyramid. Mm-hmm. And... So, I, you know, long answer to a, a short question, but it's ego is a ego is a an amazing tool if utilized correctly. Yeah. So, with your point on on holding the mirror in front of people, it made me immediately kind of think through the differences between you and I's approach when it comes to coaching and and mentorship and, and leadership. And one of the things that I've always respected and appreciated about you is you come in with a hammer and just lay it down. Hey, this is the reality that you're faced with. Now, what are you going to do about it? So for me, I'm kind of the the opposite of that, where I come in, have conversations, kind of start finessing and talking through and, and navigating feelings. So I have had luck and success with, with some people, but I, I know you've had a tremendous amount of luck with others with your approach. And I think it's important for coaches and leaders to be able to adapt and pivot to the needs of the people on their team, whoever they are working with. Because I know that there have been people that, that you've worked with, especially in the oil field services industry or space. These guys are very hardened and they need that punch to the gut of reality. Whereas if you're coaching others that are maybe on the support side of the fence who have not had that life that created this hard shell, you have to spend a little bit more time navigating through those waters. So how does a leader go through and learn how to adapt to the people that they're leading to ensure that they are all successful in their own way. So it's interesting you point that out because you had asked me earlier about somebody who is a pull versus a push. Mm -hmm. And I did not come in hard. Uh, I have not yet come in hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all been conversation, trust building, listening, understanding his perspective. You, You, let's just call you, I might have victimized you a little bit because we had a relationship. 
we have a friendship. There was trust. Mm-hmm. And so when you when we started having these conversations, it's very easy to be for me to be, here's the mirror, take a look. This is what the issue is, yep. or from my perception. And you're like, and you were you were all in. You're like, you recognize it immediately. So there's there's leaders who get you just have to expose them because you've never had been exposed and you adjusted immediately. So I do definitely have an aggressive approach with people that I have built trust with or that, that I have a relationship with mm-hmm. because they know that about me. Yeah. Um, and it's not, so I don't hang my hat on it, but it's something that if, if, if we, you know, my wife knows how I am, my, my, you know who I am, my friends know who, how I am. And I just give it to them straight because that's what they want. That's mm-hmm. what they, they don't want to be patted on the head and back rub. They want direct. Just, just let's get to the point. Let's fix this. Absolutely. And, and I think trust is such a foundational element to all of this. So talk me through and the listeners through how do you go in and start building trust with someone that you've never met before? Say someone engages you, hey, I have this, this leader in my business that I'm really struggling with. How do you come into that situation and start building trust? So I've been hired to come in and speak with someone. Mm-hmm. Correct. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why do you think I'm here? Mm-hmm. Why do you think you're here? Ask the question. Yeah. I mean, just ask questions and just don't be judgy. Don't be aggressive. Just say, let's let's talk about why I'm here. Mm-hmm. What do you want to get out of this? Yeah. Where where do you want this to go? Because that's you know, and I've learned a ton from uh, my friend uh, Pat Strawbridge okay. about coaching. He's a certified you know the big school, and mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm going through my master's program right now. So I don't have time to go to coaching school. So, mm-hmm. but I've learned from him. And, and when I talk about coaching, I'm not, I am not a certified coach as of yet. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's people don't, don't want me for coaching, coaching. They want me for leadership coaching. Yeah. And that's a little bit different. Right. Um, and I will tell you that I probably have a PhD in dealing with people. Yeah. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just like, just like most senior listed coming out of the military, going into corporate America, you mm-hmm. understand people. So, uh, but you know, when you when you have those conversations, or when you, to, to, you know, the, to build that trust, it, you just have to be. And the word sometimes is overused, but authenticity is like, look, I'm not here to threaten you. I'm not here to take your job. I'm not here to report back. Mm-hmm. Everything you say is with me and me only, mm-hmm. and I'm only here for you. I'm here for you as whatever you need. And so, people don't necessarily trust that right away. But you know, I said, you know. Feel free to ask questions anytime. I'm just going to ask questions and let you talk and tell me what you want to tell me. And and so it doesn't establish immediately. Uh, the one push that's uh, the one that pull that's now um, he's pushing himself to go through this uh, uh, coaching. Um, he's he's amazing. He's amazing, and he he's starting to open up. He was very resistant, very non-conversational. I wouldn't call back to schedule events. And I just said, look, I'm not, uh, you know, the leadership team said, well, are you going to follow up? I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, you, that's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't want to call, then I'm good with that. Uh, I, I'd, I'd prefer to work. I'd prefer to help this guy. But if he's not interested, well, he, he reached out, he scheduled, and and it's uh, and we've had a couple sessions now, and he's he's a different character. And he's yeah. he's asking great questions and wanting to be better, but you know there's a there's a re, there's a relationship barrier, there's a trust barrier, and until he really understood who I was, he wasn't going to open up. So he mm-hmm. asked a lot of questions. Yeah, 
lot of philosophical questions about leadership and, and uh, great, great stuff. So, yeah. So when we talk about, I know you're going through and getting your MBA right now. So I was recently watching some content from Simon Sinek, and he spoke to how a lot of schools and MBA programs teach management. They call it leadership, but it's really management. So with your background in leading in, in the military, corporate America, and now going through your MBA program, I'm curious on what your experiences are and what differentiates the two in your eyes. So I'm getting an A. Uh, You know, yeah, management is a a powerful word. Management is a powerful word, and it does everything. It's uh, it's pretty amazing what what manager, what management, what it really means. However, leadership is is convincing and coaching and guiding people to do the things they don't want to do or don't know what they need to do and, and getting them to do it. And we could go into the semantics of leadership and management all day long. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, probably 80% and higher of the people I speak to are, are decent managers, mm-hmm. but they're not leaders, Yeah, not by any stretch. Yeah. Uh, they don't understand how to. They don't understand how to evaluate their people. They don't understand how to understand if the wheels are coming off the bus with their people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the one thing we t- we talk about all the time is identity, purpose, inclusion, and reward. My uh, my former command master chief of SEAL Team Two gave me this lecture in Iraq. Uh, he said, "Hey, all we have is identity, purpose, inclusion, and reward." Mm-hmm. And you know we've, we 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 teach that now, right? Because it really it, it, you can tell when somebody's wheel is wobbling mm-hmm. because they're acting funny, yeah. and and because you know your team and you know those people, mm-hmm. you can adjust for them if they're not getting enough attention. Um, and you know identity, purpose, inclusion, reward. Reward doesn't necessarily mean money. It means maybe that guy just needs a pat on the back, or that lady needs just a a kind word on occasion because she's just crushing it and she's left to her own toils so um the going back to the question uh which was i was wrapping Man, up. so management and leadership yeah so management yeah. and leadership yeah so management you know and i'm not saying managers don't manage their people mm-hmm. but uh by the way management managers um are the backbone of of america but great leadership mm-hmm. is is not as common that i'm seeing and I think uh, I think we all need to work harder to be more better leaders, yep. even if we're managers. Mm-hmm. I see. I have so many conversations with people that aren't in senior leadership or even leadership roles, or even have a manager title behind their name, that that struggle with okay, how do I get these people to do these things? And part of my messaging to them is always okay. Well, you don't have to have these people reporting to you to get them to do work. It's about inspiration and influence. How do you build that trust? How do you help them to understand the value? How is this gonna make their lives easier? And so I see, I have a lot of conversations with people about, okay, leadership is not just giving orders to those beneath you. Leadership is guiding and influencing people at your same level and then even leading up. Now, I. I know from experience, I have no doubt you do as well, that leading up is probably one of the most challenging aspects of leading. What are some tips and tricks that you have learned over the years to successfully lead up? So, you know, in order for you to lead up, you have to have a leader above you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right? That's a challenge. You know, I think, so this kind of leading up kind of goes for me. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the word no does not exist. And I know, you know, we've had this conversation. I <laughs> know you have. think it's crazy, but I, I think that I've done enough in my life and I've done enough in the company and I've done enough in, in a lot of different areas of my life that I know how to get a yes. Mm -hmm. And when I get a no, first of all, I'm not going to ask a question that I, that I know is a no. Mm -hmm. If it's a no, it's a no. Yeah. But if there's any possible chance it could be a yes and I get a no, it's because I didn't do enough work. I didn't collect enough data. I didn't do the legwork required. I didn't figure out exactly what my boss needs from, to get a yes, um, whatever the case may be. So partially going, leading up is modeling behavior that makes it easy to say yes. Mm -hmm. You know, when I make, when I have a conversation with a leader above me, it's not flippant. It's intentional. There's intentionality and work and effort. Because if, if I intend on asking for them to do something, then I have to have the data and information and support for them to, for me to get a yes. Mm -hmm. So leading up is, is a lot of work, but it's very valuable because once you start stringing together a couple yeses, it becomes easier to say yes. Once you start stringing together a couple of noes, you've just kind of gotten into a rut and it's probably going to be no. So you have to be, when you lead up, you have to be very intentional and careful. And, of course, every every group and every organization is different. If you have a super strong leader who trusts your ability and knows what you can bring to the table, and fortunately I have that here, mm -hmm. then the answer is going to be yes because there's thought, there's intentionality, and it makes sense. So, so there's something that you shared with me in the past. Th there is no no. It's just not right now. That's the mindset that you have to have to go into conversations with leadership. And, and your story kind of also resonated with me whenever I think back, I've shared a number of times my experience in transitioning from leading just IT to leading HR as well, and how I sat down with our CEO, had the conversation, and was told no. And I went home, licked my, room, my wounds, had some conversations with you, and realized that I didn't come to the table with enough data, enough information. I was not able to convey the why to her in a meaningful, powerful enough way. I regrouped, asked for some more time, went back in on the attack, and ended up being successful. Ended up getting what I accomplished or wanted to accomplish. So I think it's very important whenever you start thinking about leading up to make sure that you are very intentional and you come to the table prepared. And if you get a no, that just means not right now. Maybe you need to regroup. Maybe you need to come to the table with more information. So I think that's that's a valuable lesson that a lot of people need to learn and, and really focus on whenever they're having challenges like that. <laughs> Some people call it perseverance. I call it being stubborn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I no does not exist. Mm-hmm. And even though I know it does, um, I don't put myself in a position to get told no. If yeah. it if it's a question that I know what the answer is, why why ask the question? Let's start thinking of alternatives, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, and I know that some you can look at it philosophically differently from other people, but it works. And it's just a mindset. It's it's kind of like there is no Plan B. Mm -hmm. Stick to Plan A. Yep. Doesn't matter how long you get there, but don't don't deviate because then it makes quitting easy. Mm -hmm. Same with getting a no. Don't make a solid plan. So yeah, 
So it's a good segue into mental toughness and grit, I think. And, you know, so many of us are shaped by our experiences growing up, whether it's, you know, whenever we're a, a young child or teenage years or even going into the military. And I feel like there is kind of a a softening of society that has been occurring in recent years or maybe decades. Maybe this is just my perception on it. But whenever I look at, at certain individuals, I think it's, it's obvious or evident if they have that grit. So from your perspective, how do you build grit? If someone were to come to you, say they were 30, 35 years old and they were, they had none, how would you help them to build that mental toughness? That's a tough question because I think you, so mental toughness, you can talk about mental toughness. Mm -hmm. You can build skill sets. You can, you know, everybody's heard, how do you eat an elephant? One, yep. one, one bite, bite at a time, time, right? So that's that's great to, for an analogy to to work through a tough situation, mm-hmm. and that's it's a very it's a very reasonable uh, analogy mm-hmm. because you know there's you know, I look back to Hell Week where I look back to some of the toughest times of my life it was just put one foot in front. Shoot, even in uh, how many times have I complained to you about uh, some of these classes I'm going through. Yeah. Brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a knuckle dragger and I eat Crayola crayons. I mean, <laughs> uh, to, to, for me to be working through <laughs> microeconomics is uh, devastating to me. So, um, but I just put one foot in front of the other and read and read and fight and read. It's stubborn. I said, uh, you can call it mental toughness. You can call mm-hmm. it whatever you want. Grit. I'm just stubborn because failure just seems to me. And trust me, I failed a ton. Mm-hmm. But I fight against it tooth and nail. Um, and so when I fail, it's pretty tragic for me. But, man, I'm better for it <laughs> at, afterwards, after everything calms down. Yeah. Um, so toughness, I, you know, how do you coach somebody into toughness? That's a great question. Uh, put them through buds maybe. Um, <laughs> or, or, you know, the, one of the things that people – and I can tell when people are interested in hearing about toughness because they want to be more resilient. Mm-hmm. Um you know, when I, when I when I speak at colleges or high schools uh, to athletic teams and we talk about mental toughness, the one thing we talk about is it's 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 how you show up. Again, it's how are you going to shrink away from that opportunity or trust yourself? Why do you shrink away? You shrink away because you don't trust yourself, because you don't want to get ridiculed if you screw it up, because you don't, because you don't, because you don't. What happens if you take that chance and you you perform once and you win it. What happens after that? Then, then you're going to get a taste for winning. You'll never be out there. You'll never be that winner that you strive to be unless you take the chance. Mm-hmm. You have to take the chance. But what helps when you take that chance is having a team that supports you, having a team that's not going to stab you in the back, having a team that's going to be like, dude, greatest move I ever saw. It didn't work out, but it was it was great. You know, this is all athletic driven. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to, you know, it's funny. I, I can't really think of any time that I've had to coach somebody on being mentally tough mm-hmm. or or gritty when it comes to the corporate environment. It's all been athletically driven yeah. or sports driven 
at those levels. Yeah. So that's a great question, but you know, I would I would have the same conversations. I would have the similar conversations. You know, mm-hmm. and it depends on how the question was posed. So sorry to dance around the topic, but I don't I don't really I haven't come across mental toughness in in the environment. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things I've noticed over, especially over the past year with COVID and the shutdowns and everything that's been occurring, we're starting to see those individuals that that have that grit and that resilience are starting to to really shine through. Because the first few months, it was kind of, oh, this is new, this is exciting, I can still be highly productive at home, not a big deal. Well, when you drag that out over a year's time frame, and then, you know, a lot of people will argue that there's no end in sight. There's still a lot of issues and challenges ahead. And so the mental toll that it takes on people, it, it really starts to shine through. And your comment on the importance of having a good team around you, I think, is paramount. I also think that if if you don't have that good team around you, the, the onus and and responsibility are on you to go somewhere else where you have a strong team or where you can be surrounded by a strong team. Now, I know, unfortunately, over the past year, you had a, a, an incredible team that was working with you. And due to the nature of the downturn, you lost all of your team. And it's just been you. <laughs> it, and and that's, that's very difficult. I mean, a lot of businesses are in similar situations. So how have you been able to, to persevere through dealing with losing everyone on your team and then still coming to the table day in, day out with that positive mindset and positively impacting the lives of those around you? I think for me personally, it was devastating. Um, I, I, you know, Sean, I think one of the things I excel at is building excellent teams, mm-hmm. excellent teams um, between very clear expectations, open communications, and and consistent communications. I think the teams that I've built have been superior in every way to most of the other teams. I get it. We have to lose people uh, because that's what the company says we have to do and what the, really what the industry dictated for us to survive. Mm-hmm. So no hard feelings, and I'm frankly honored to still be here. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I, it is very challenging. It's exceedingly challenging to not have a team that is – uh, that that is your network, your support group, because the fact of the matter is, they support me as much as I support them. You know, not having people to support and grow and develop the things that I feel are who I am uh, makes a big difference. And then not being able to travel out to the districts now, I have plenty of Teams calls and and phone calls, and it's just not the same for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, can I adjust? Yeah, I adjusted, but it's, again. Uh, it's it, there's a hole there that that I'm excited to start getting back into it because mm-hmm. now, um, you know, between the vaccine and and travel restrictions and businesses and opening here in Texas, uh, I still we have to be very conscientious and cautious and careful. Uh, but nobody's going to get sick from me, mm-hmm. and and I think getting out there and seeing the troops is is got to be my number one priority. So I'm excited. Next week is our my first week on the road and. Since about six months, so yeah, and I think it, that also speaks to the importance of being able to pivot and adapt to be a successful. Oh leader. yeah, you had a team, you were able to move 
quite a few people through your your program. You had multiple cohorts each year that were coming through, and you had to adapt. You no longer had a team to facilitate all of those training courses and, and the entire program. And so as a leader, you had to pivot and adapt and say, okay, I can no longer support the organization in this way. What do I do now? Okay, well, maybe I take more of a strategic and, and well, maybe I should say a very focused approach on who are the key individuals that I can work with to make that significant impact. Instead of volume, it becomes very targeted on key individuals that can make the greatest impact in the organization. Yeah, so that we, we had a group that uh, the boss reached out and he said, hey, look, here's the deal. I've got a dysfunctional group of folks. We don't like each other. It's, it's like five guys at the top. Mm-hmm. At a district, um, and it was very contentious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and day one, I, you know, it was all Zoom. We did it all over, um, excuse me, Teams. It was amazing, though. The transformation in six weeks, it was one hour a week, mm-hmm. but it was a committed one hour of presence. No mm-hmm. phones, no interruptions. I want your undivided attention for 55 minutes. Yep. And the amount of headway we made, but it wasn't because of what we did in that hour. It was because of the work they did after that hour, yeah, there was there was some readings, there was some understand, there was some expected meetings that they would have together and talk about specific topics. And so, real leaders put the work in mm-hmm. wherever it's needed, and they went from this broken. After about a month, they were having barbecues at each other's houses and you know drinking beers together and just man, it was just what a win, yeah. what a win, not for me, for them. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing worse than going to work and not liking the people you're working with. Yep. But it, it's a good job. You you want to keep your job. Yep. So uh, really, really, uh, probably one of the most exciting pieces of the last year for me. Yeah, and I'm not sure what triggered this memory for me, but I, I recall sitting through one of your programs actually with a bunch of senior executives in an organization. And one of the questions that came to me was, hey, how did you build such an incredibly strong IT team and IT leader? And my response was time. It takes time to be able to build and develop leaders. You can't expect somebody to come in for six weeks or six months and just flip a switch and bam, this is an incredible leader. It's an evolution over time. Now, that wasn't the response that this person was wanting. He was wanting to know, hey, what's the magic button to be able to fix this and, and get my team working? But it really just, quite frankly, takes time. And one of the things that I admire about you is, is you're always growing. You're always focusing on how can I learn more? How can I be a more effective leader? And a lot of people look up to you as one of the strongest leaders in the organization. But for you, you're continuing to grow, continuing to evolve. And and I'm curious on what your thoughts are and have you ever run across people that kind of reach a point where they become complacent and then stall out? And what are your sure, thoughts on that? Sure, yeah, they do. Um, but I don't know if the right word is stall out or become complacent. They become consumed with their job, their position, their their op- their obligations. Yeah. So, and people lose, sometimes lose sight, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would say that um, COVID gave me a great opportunity to reflect and gave me a great opportunity to at least get my foot in the door with this education mm-hmm. because I would have been consumed with my job to continue to, to go to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave me a break, and, and, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And you know, we talked about it. I'm like, man, I, I'm, not, 
I'm not growing. I'm not doing anything. I got to mm-hmm. do something for. I got to get better. How yeah. do you get better? Yeah. And so uh, the timing was right. Uh, but there's leaders. Let's say a CEO. Let's say any CEO. Mm-hmm. You have great CEOs. You have bad CEOs. You have mediocre CEOs. But um, and then you have some CEOs that continually want to be better, and some that just want to you know do their job. Yeah. And that's CEO all the way down. Uh, and I understand that. I get that because mm-hmm. I've 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 been there a little bit. Mm-hmm. But when you step back and take time to reflect, you, you realize, man, how do I ma- how do I make it better? Yeah. How do I make my team better? How do I get better? Where can I go? What can I do? Uh, you know, our CEO, she's a Harvard grad, so yeah. you know. But but you know, when she flies out and she goes to these meetings and she meets these people, she's continually evolving and learning and understanding and an amazing example of evolving and developing leadership, mm-hmm. right? Because of the things she interacts with and, and the people she interacts with. Uh, you get a little bit lower on the chain, you know, get down to, you know, there's, we have VPs that, what are they, are, what are they doing? How are they improving? How are they engaging? Um, and it goes, so it starts at the top and it goes all the way down. It's mm-hmm. easy to get sucked into life. And, and by the way, just because I say you need to do it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Because not everybody's built in this one thing. This tells you not everybody's the same. There are some people who uh, want to be widget makers, and they're going to be the best widget maker there ever has been, and they're good with that. And I'm good with them being good with that because there's nothing better than somebody who loves their job and is excellent at their job. Because I'll keep those people around all day long. Yeah, yeah, and that actually made me think of something else. Whenever I I recall back early in my I'll say leadership career where I kind of came came out of my shell from being the, this IT introvert who was a keyboard warrior and I won every single argument behind <laughs> my keyboard. <laughs> but, you know, there, there are specific mentors and leaders that we have in our lives. And once I came to the realization that I, I wanted to pursue a path in leadership as opposed to something that was highly technical in nature, I started identifying who are these people that I respect and admire and what are some of the traits that they exhibit. One person that comes to mind for me, which I know you know, is, is Stacy Rocca. Mm-hmm. And I think through him as being such an incredible leader. And so there were times when I would try to mimic some of his behaviors. It just, it didn't really click. It didn't feel right. And what I came to realize is I'm not Stacy Rocca. I'm Sean Barnes. <laughs> I have an entirely different skill set, an entirely different background. And so I actually had to learn to take little cues and specific traits from people like Stacy, from people like you, from people like our current CEO, things like that. And then I had to, to mesh and meld them into, okay, what works best for me to be a successful leader? So whenever you think about you and your path, who are some of the individuals that really resonated with you? I have so every single person I run across. I got to tell you, I yeah. mean, I've, of course, I've got some key people mm-hmm. uh, in the military. The list is too long, and, and out of respect for the professions they've lived and the life they live, I'll, I'll leave those names off. But mm-hmm. um, there's a couple that really stand out as people who have they afforded me the opportunities to get to where I've become. They had the trust in my capability and, and gave me those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as far as civilian life goes, uh, as I retired and transitioned and 
I look, I look at, I look at uh, Stacy Rocca and mm-hmm. Ann Fox and a mm-hmm. David Crombie, mm-hmm. the people who have trusted me and given me opportunity, and and have allowed me to run. Um, there's there's something to be said when they give you those opportunities. You don't want to let them down. You need to not only not only win but crush it. Yep. And and I I know I did that. I absolutely know I did that with uh, with the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I think of those mentors, it was the fact that they they gave me the rope to run or hang myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely ran, and yep. I, I, I'm confident I didn't hang myself. Specifically with Stacy Rocca, uh, that, that's more along the lines of nine with uh, Ann and David. Mm-hmm. And, and many others, by the way, not yeah. just those two, yeah. but those are the two at the top who've just really trusted and mm-hmm. given me opportunity. With Stacy, it was my day one up in Pennsylvania with nine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm still I'm still in the Navy. I'm yeah. on leave, but mm-hmm. I'm, I start my first day of work. And we come in, we're doing a reorg. I'm like, what? Day one? We're reorging in the <laughs> Northeast, and I, I'm sitting in there with the, the two the two business, original business owners, mm-hmm. Stacy, myself, my new boss, Matt Burke. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about reorg and what that looks like. And, and Stacy did, you know, he 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 didn't he didn't tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. He asked them questions yep. and they answered them the way he wanted them to answer them because I saw exactly what he was doing. He was adding some structure yep. and some reporting chains and some of this and some of that and very simple stuff. But it's not simple if you have young leaders who are who haven't been developed. And so I remember day one going, hmm, we have some gaps here with the organization. Mm-hmm. Not not, not un- dysfunctional. The organization is great, continues to be great. Mm-hmm. But watching Stacy work, and I so appreciated him afterwards. You know, we had some interaction throughout the day. And uh, at the end of the day, he was coming back the next day. But I said, Stacy, listen, I got to tell you, thank you so much. I thought that was fantastic, and I really appreciate how you handled it. We went out to dinner, and we talked. And, and you know, by the end of the week, He's like, look, man, I know you're brand new. Um, I, and as a veteran himself, you know, a mm-hmm. night stalker, he, he's like, hey. Uh, night stalker is a, is a spec ops um, helicopter branch yep. in the Army. And mm-hmm. um, we just had some common ground yeah. with, with um, SOCOM. So uh, he just said, look, man, whatever you need, don't hesitate. You, you want to understand how to navigate wherever you may need it. Don't hesitate to call. And he's been true to his word since day one. And so I have uh, some undying love for Mr. Rocca uh, and his capabilities and what he brings to the table and his company. His company is, how many times have we use this company? Oh, yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. So Absolutely. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, so there's been plenty of people because I want to be very clear about this. Becoming a leader is not a solo journey mm-hmm. at all. Uh you know, one of the reasons I, I, I showed up and decided to uh, go to Nine Energy, uh, hire on with Nine Energy was was because of the leadership. You know, Ann Fox was the, was the CFO at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I have to tell you, there was a, I had a lot of different offers out there that were far better offers mm-hmm. than Nine Energy, but it was a small enough company that I thought, hey. I can make an impact here. It's not so big that I'll be a number. Yep. And so uh, it was an easy decision for me to take less money, come to this organization, and try to make an impact. And mm-hmm. you know, six, seven years later, we're we're having this podcast. So it's pretty amazing how things work out. Yeah, it really is. And you touched 
in that story and then also at the beginning of the show of how a lot of times people have the answers already. It's a matter of asking the right questions, leaving those that trail of bread cl- breadcrumbs like what Stacy did. He was just kind of asking them the right questions to guide them where he knew they needed to be so that it would be their idea. They would own it. They would get behind it. Unequivocally. So I think that's absolutely incredible, very important skill or trait as a leader, but also giving your employees and your team that rope, trusting them with saying, hey, I need you to get this done and giving them ownership of it and letting them just kind of run with it. I know for me, I thrive in that type of environment. If I have trust from above and the the directive is just go fix it, I don't care how you do it, I I will be successful because I absolutely will not let them down, to your point. Yeah. So I think two big key traits of leadership that you just touched on in the same story, which are, are absolutely incredible. So what's next for you? So the short term, short or long, short term is uh, the very short term is I am super focused on getting on the road. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ground I want to cover. There's a lot of new faces in the organization. And as we spoke the other day, I feel um, obligated to crush it. I feel obligated to finally get out there. And I don't want to be a cheerleader, but I want I want these guys to realize they have a tremendous resource Mm -hmm. that is willing to do whatever it takes to, to to. to make them perform at a higher level, yep. at the next level, when it comes to leadership and, and accountability, and just just so many things that, that we can be better at as an organization. And I got to find those guys that want to do it because those are the guys I want to invest everything I got into because we need it. We need to be the diff- We need to be different than everybody else. Man, such a, a powerful note on your comment about finding those that want to do it. I can't stress the importance of, of that enough for all of you listening. You've got to want, you've got to want it bad enough to be willing to change, take the hits and realize you might suck at first. The chances are you're really going to suck at first, quite frankly, but you have to be willing to take those hits so that you can learn and become successful and achieve the things that you really want to achieve. What, uh, what, is, what does Pat always say? Uh, he says, it's okay if you make mistakes. Just next time, suck less. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Just suck less. If you continually are, are a little bit better, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how big your change is. If you're continually moving forward, that's all that matters. Yep. But when you're staying, especially, especially um, younger or mid-management you know, that have a higher aspirations, mm-hmm. if you're not developing yourself, you're, you're, you're not doing anything to move yourself forward. And that is one of the biggest mistakes people don't really embrace or understand. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised at how reasonable it is to move forward. When I say reasonable, it doesn't cost a million dollars to move forward. It doesn't cost much to move forward. Find a coach. Find somebody who you can work with. Find somebody that that you align with mm-hmm. and talk to them and, and negotiate and figure out a way to get somebody to – help you be accountable, help you understand what you need to read or help you understand what questions you need to answer of yourself. And I, I'm not really plugging coaching as much as I am. And if you're if you're in an organization, start taking a look around and say, hey, look, what would it look like if we had beginning to develop our people? Yep. 
Why don't we create that bench? Let's create some depth in our organization. It's one of the biggest things that I think companies miss out on is yeah. understanding investing in your people is investing in the success of your organization. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and I would I would venture to say that we're going to see more and more of that in the coming years. Businesses are starting to realize the importance of it. So well, Hitch, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. I could sit here and talk with you for hours like we always do. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I just really appreciate your time. Thank you. It was a privilege. Thanks, Sean. And uh, for all your listeners, I think it's uh, what a pleasure. So I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everybody. Y'all have a good day. Thanks.